Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we catch you up on the biggest local and state stories that you might have missed. Stories like these. Schools are not significant drivers of COVID spread. And, you know, we've not had a single 5 to 11-year-old who's been vaccinated who's been seriously ill with COVID at this point. CT leadership is compelling its membership to make a decision that will harm hundreds of thousands of Chicago families. Many of our members... People who educate Chicago are home ill, are home quarantining, are home taking care of their children who are home ill and quarantining as well. Thousands of flights continue to be canceled today across the country because of shorting staffages, COVID infections, and people who have been stranded at the biggest airports around the country say it doesn't always feel safe. With us for those stories and more, WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Egoen and Dan Petrella, state politics reporter for the Chicago Tribune. We'll hear from Kim in a moment, but Dan, let's start with you. The local news story that made national headlines this week is the standoff between the mayor and Chicago Public Schools leadership and the Chicago Teachers Union. This is the third day of school cancellations. What's the Teachers Union asking for? They're asking for better safety precautions in schools. They're um, wanting the district to do a better job of providing um, testing Um, They just want to make sure from their point of view that their members and that the students in the schools are safe for returning to class. It's been hard for some schools even to, you know, fully staff with uh, the number of educators and support staff and people who, who have gotten sick in the last week or so. Well, to that, the mayor, CPS leadership and Dr. Allison Arwoody say it's safe to hold school in person. Here's what the city's top doctor told us on Reset earlier this week. Schools are not significant drivers of COVID spread. And we've seen that in Chicago. We've seen that across the country. Children already very unlikely to get seriously ill. And if you get vaccinated, you know, we've not had a single 5 to 11-year-old who's been vaccinated who's, you know, been seriously ill with COVID at this point. So Dr. Arwoody and the overarching public health guidance says that kids are unlikely to get seriously ill. Schools are generally safe. But we are also seeing the highest number of hospitalizations among children. So, Kimberly, how are the parents and caregivers dealing with that? I think that each one of the parents, and it's their responsibility to listen to what they're being told, but also to use their own eyes and figure out what's going to be most important for their families. So the doctor said that children are not getting sick, but the hospitals are filled with children uh, to a degree larger than there has been in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's a discrepancy there. I think, though, Sasha, the number one thing that, that is an issue right now is parents are in a very hard position. Uh, so many are unable to afford to be off work, to be with their children at home. And I think that is the main motivating factor, along with the poor lack of education that children have received during COVID-19, that is making parents send their children and want to send their children to school as a means of necessity more than, you know, them wanting to, they can't really just don't have the ability to stay home with their children. In a large way, that is driving their dissatisfaction. Well, Kimberly, even uh, President Biden's press secretary weighed in on on this dispute and said uh, it's safe for kids to be in school right now. Do you think that this is something that the president should be getting involved in? (laughs) 
the president would have to come to see the state of some of the schools in the Chicago public school system before he can have his press secretary make a statement like that. I mean, if, if the teachers are saying and administrators are saying that there is an issue with the cleanliness of the schools and the outbreaks, I mean, we had a, a school in my neighborhood that right before break 60 to 80% of the entire school building, the administrators and the principal were out because they had to quarantine. The principal had COVID. So what I'm saying, is it's easy to, to say from Washington, D.C., everyone should be in school, and all things being equal, that probably would be true, but something is not going right with CPS. Well, Dan, what has CPS CEO Pedro Martinez said that the, uh, the consequences are going to be if teachers don't show up for school in person? They're saying that they're not paying staff who are not showing up, that um, they're putting them on, on, I believe it's called no-pay status, um, you know, and I think it's important to know, and we may get to this later, but it's not just, you know, obviously the, the union issue is somewhat unique to Chicago, but suburban schools are also seeing, um, you know, staffing shortages, things like that. Um, U46, the second largest district in the state, had something like 500 staff members out this week, had to close five schools. Um, you're seeing other school districts go remote to start the new um, year after the break. So obviously this is going to be a big problem going forward is this just tremendous surge that's unlike anything we've seen so far continues. Do we have any indication, Dan, what might happen next week? Uh, could Chicago public schools, for instance, could they go remote again? That is a possibility. Um, CPS and the CTU are back at the table today negotiating. We'll see if they're able to come up with some kind of resolution um, either today or, or over the weekend, hopefully sooner rather than later, to give um, the parents, like Kimberly was talking about, n- notice and, and give them some time to figure out what they're going to do with their kids if they can't be in class on Monday. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, uh, Lori Lightfoot has long been at odds with the teachers union. So who would you say this standoff is more damaging for, the mayor or the CTU? Unfortunately, it's so politicized, and and I'm not exactly sure how it got to this point because it's becoming countless number of schools in the suburbs that are also out because of COVID-19 right now, and they're being allowed to learn remotely. So I think that the union, of course, has got an immense power, and they're able to use it to stand up to the administration. But at some point, the parents are going to be sick of both sides because in, in some cases, they don't agree with when CTU steps out. But in some cases, they do agree when they think that their children are going to be put in harm's way with getting COVID-19. Both sides are in jeopardy, and the mayor is definitely up for re-election next year. You're going to hear all of this revisiting her during that election. Here's Mayor Lightfoot uh, in a conversation with WTTW's Paris Schutz yesterday. There's a lot of things we can meet common common ground on, but when they go to the nuclear option um, and go and and an illegal strike, it makes working together so much more challenging. Where do you think the, the city and the CTU can find that common ground, Kimberly? I think that there has to be a common sense plan put in place to ensure that teachers and children are not walking into a school where there are people who have COVID. CPS has mentioned a lot about what children don't, you know, are not getting sick, they don't get harmed, but there are teachers and administrators in those buildings, and in some cases we've had a few, a couple that have passed away who were completely vaccinated and boosted. We know that there was a complete fiasco with testing. It wasn't done at the beginning of the school year properly, and then when it was time to come back from break, at least half of the 40,000 COVID tests that they they sent at the last minute to uh, the students' homes 
were ruined. They couldn't even be <laughs> they couldn't even be used to find out whether people had COVID nineteen or not. Yeah. So there needs to be a common sense plan. Everyone needs to dial back, hit the reset button, figure out what is the common sense plan for there to be testing, for there to be clean schools, so that everyone can at least try to figure out how to go back to school and the rate needs to come down enough so they can be in school. If not, there needs to be a remote learning plan put in place. Dan, let's circle back to those suburban schools uh, that are closing because of COVID. What else can you tell us? Um, you know, it's it's um, really interesting that it's not, uh, it doesn't seem to be the teachers unions in these situations that are, that are driving that, but just administrative decisions that schools need to make, just not physically having enough staff who are well enough to come in and open the buildings or, or even teach remotely. Um, so, you know, this is case-wise the, and hospitalization-wise the worst surge that we've seen so far in the nearly two years of this pandemic. And it's putting strain on schools all around the state. Local universities have also uh, decided to teach remotely. What's the latest there? That's right. Um, University of Illinois, for example, is going to start its semester um, remote for the first week or so, I believe, you know, just to give um, people time to test after holiday gatherings or travel. It's really, you know, um, not a place where I think anyone was hoping that we would be to start 2022, um, feeling a bit like spring of 2020 all over again with all the um, closures and cancellations we're starting to see. Yeah, DePaul, uh, University of Chicago, and Northwestern as well, right? They all started remotely? Yes, yeah, correct. Any idea when college students will return to in-person classes? Um, It really varies campus to campus. A lot of these decisions are being made on the local level, which perhaps at this point in the pandemic is, is the right way to go with you know, administrators knowing sort of what their what their situation on the ground is. Kimberly, another person voiced his frustrations with what's going on in the city this week. Former Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan got some attention yesterday. Can you tell us what's going on with him? Well, I know the main thing is that, as I mentioned, <laughs> there is always a political um, spin to everything. He's being touted as someone who may run for mayor. And when you have This situation happening as far as the mayor having to defend CPS and having to go against CTU in about the third or fourth struggle that they've had during her tenure, it is the opportunity for others to weigh in. Arnie Duncan, Paul Vallis is very active on the Internet discussing what he feels is going wrong with the situation. So, of course, the former has Secretary of Education for the entire country would weigh in on something like this, especially if he has political aspirations. Dan, you've been reporting on the highly contagious Omicron variant uh, with some disturbing data. Fill us in. Yeah, that's correct. Um, We have been just breaking record after record day after day recently since the start of the year. I was just updating my uh, spreadsheet that I do every day right before we came on air. Um, Thankfully, the 42,000, close to 43,000 cases that were reported today didn't break yesterday's record of 44,000 plus, but, you know, hospital beds are continuing to fill up to levels we haven't seen um, Deaths are on the rise again, although um, a far smaller percentage of the people who who are getting sick now are dying than earlier in the pandemic, really thanks to those widely available and free vaccines that are out there. You know, the numbers are really, really just headed in the wrong direction in pretty much every category. And there's some indication from, you know, what happened in South Africa where the Omicron variant first was reported that it peaked very, very quickly and um, then turned down. But there's just no indication that that's happening yet here in Illinois. Yeah, about 90% of ICU beds are already in use in Chicago. We've been hearing, Dan, about hospitals 
postponing procedures because they don't have enough beds. What criteria are they using in order to prioritize what they're going to delay? This is another situation really where rather than a, an, an edict from the governor, as we saw early in the pandemic, they're leaving it up to hospital administrators to determine, you know, what kind of capacity they have in their facilities, what are the most um, pressing kind of procedures that need to be done and what can be postponed, things that, you know, aren't going to necessarily risk someone's health if they wait and have it done in, in March or April rather than now in, in January when resources are strained. But, you know, we saw early on in the pandemic people delayed care, and that's part of the reason that hospitals are, are full right now with even non-COVID patients as this new flood of, of COVID patients comes in the door. And uh, Kimberly, we're, we're getting more postponements and, and cancellations of live performances this week. Lyric Opera, uh, Broadway in Chicago, The Goodman, and, and Chicago Shakespeare Theaters, they're all postponing productions. Would you go watch live theater right now? I'm curious. Well, no, and I will say this is before I had tickets to the Nutcracker, which was supposed to be at the Lyric Opera the day after Christmas, and of course, we all got canceled. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were ready for this, but that just is another indication that is closed. The Secretary of State offices are closed. So it puts, going back to schools, it puts that into perspective. You know, common sense would say if you have to close all of these different places, why would you think that it would be okay for the schools in the city of Chicago to all be open? Yeah. That, you know, you have to kind of weigh it in the large picture. How worried do you think that we should be for, for these arts groups? Well, you know, I, I worry because that is going to impact their bottom line. Yeah. But also you don't want to cause uh, super spreader events just because someone wants to see singing. and wants to, Right. <laughs> but but it's, but it's like, can they take another year of cancellations and uncertainty? That is well, the question. The, the issue is that a pandemic has no expiration date. We've never been through this. And we, we're going to have to just follow the science and, and uh, muddle through. I, there, there really is no good answer for it, except you don't want to have super spreader events. That's WVON's Kimberly Agoen and the Chicago Tribune's Dan Petrella. And don't go away. There's plenty more where that came from, including these stories. I will not be running for a 16th term in the U.S. House of Representatives. With that, it'll be an even 30 years in Congress for Bobby Rush. He's leaving office, but not public service, he says. For me, I have a higher calling. Adam Kinzinger's next chapter will not be in elected politics. He's decided against running for Senate or governor. And on the eve of the January 6th anniversary, the congressman announced he's taking the fight to far-right extremism. Well, first Chicago did it. Now Cook County is following suit. If you want to go to a restaurant, bar, entertainment venue that serves food and drinks, you'll need to be vaccinated. So let's get to it. Kimberly, let's start off with Congressman Bobby Rush announcing this week that he's retiring after 30 years representing his Southside district. Let's go over some of the highlights of his career. You can start with the Black Panther Party. Yes, definitely. He was one of the major leaders of the Illinois branch of the Black Panther Party. Of course, Fred Hampton is someone that everyone is familiar with. And I think that that's one of the first forays into politics. Um, Of course, he was also an alderman during the Harold Washington times. So it catapulted him to be able to run against an incumbent for the congressional seat where he was seen as a reformist. 
And as he mentioned, you know, 30 years, 30 years as a congressman in one of the most storied congressional districts in the United States used to have a huge African-American population. But one of the things that has happened over the years, as we know, in the city of Chicago, the population of African-Americans has gone down significantly. At some point, they may begin to call it the third migration, third great migration of African-Americans as they migrate out of the city to the south suburbs and in many cases to southern states where we first came from. So there, there he had he had a press conference in which he talked about many of his accomplishments, and you know there probably are quite a few, but in general there is a lot of um, destitute <laughs> destitution in the the congressional district that he has led to the degree that it's lost so much population, it has to be pushed way further south because African-Americans in particular have left the city of Chicago in his district. So uh, Congressman Rush said that this isn't the end of public service for him. What did he say his plans are? Well, you know, he's been the minister of the beloved community church for many years. Um, at one point it was in Inglewood, and I know then it did move to Bronzeville. I'm not sure of the exact location right now. But he says that he plans to be a very active voice there. One of the things he also mentioned that really was uh, a great passion of his was being one of the 50 African-American congressmen out of the 435 or so congressmen from around the country, being that voice in the room uh, representing blacks across the country. So I would assume that that is what he would continue to want to do. A few candidates have already announced. Is there a front runner? Well, there were candidates who were running against him, which may have been one of the reasons why, you know, we had been hearing, I had been hearing for summer that he may not run. So this was not, it didn't come as a complete shock to me. Okay. But there have been, there were candidates that were running against him. Jamal Cole, who was over my block, my hood, my city, was one of the people who kind of stood out a bit. But almost everyone who was running against him before, none of them had any type of legislative experience, either as a legislator themselves or as a staffer. So now that he has gotten out of the race, there are people who have been waiting for this position for the 30 years that he has been in there, uh, some of which <laughs> are state senators, state representatives, but one in particular whose name is definitely being highlighted right now because she is the chairman of the budget committee for the Chicago City Council, as well as she was running for Illinois Secretary of State. That is Third Ward Alderman Pat Dow. She has a huge monetary war chest right now, which is topping out at over $500,000. And, you know, this, is, this will be an expensive race because we are estimating there will be a lot of people in this race. But anyone who is running in that way, as far as being already an elected official, they have a record. They have a record of what they have done. They will have to answer to smart voters. They will have to answer what have they done as all of the black people have left the city of Chicago. What have they done? Have they made any statements? Have they done anything to help combat the violence? Have they done anything to combat back the uh, police brutality. What have they done as far as resources for black people to stay in the city of Chicago? So that'll be interesting to watch and see them defend their record. Yeah, certainly won't be easy shoes to fill. Uh, let's turn to another statewide election. Last weekend, former President Donald Trump inserted himself into a downstate congressional campaign, and he was endorsing Congresswoman Mary Miller, who's a Trump loyalist. Dan, can you start us off by telling us about this newly created 15th congressional district? Yes, 
So um, the Democrats who control the legislature in Springfield, the state legislature, uh, drew new maps of the state's congressional districts this year. Um, the state, because of its population loss and population growth in other, other states, lost one of its congressional seats. Um, and when the Democrats were drawing the lines, they um, lumped freshman Congresswoman Mary Miller, who's a Naperville native but um, now a downstate resident, into the same district as um, Congressman Mike Bost. But she decided to run in a district that was drawn for Republican Congressman Rodney Davis of Taylorville, which is kind of in the in the Springfield area. All of these folks are, are conservative Republicans. But what's going to be interesting here is it's sort of a test of how loyal you have to be to the former president to win a Republican primary, mm-hmm. um, even in a state like Illinois. More about Rodney Davis, because he, he was a co-chair of Trump's reelection campaign in Illinois, but... That sounds like it wasn't enough to maintain Trump's support. That's right. And he, you know, he also was appointed to the January 6th commission and, and quit that post uh, along with, you know, all but a couple other Republicans. So Mary Miller is just a, a very, very loyal um, Trump supporter. Davis supported the president a lot, but also has somewhat of a bipartisan track record. Um, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see just yeah. just how much of a loyalty test the Republican primary is this year. A leading uh, Trump critic announced that he will not run for a statewide office. Here he is on uh, TMZ Live yesterday. You know, I've been in the House 12 years after this term. That's enough. Now it's time to focus on a broader fight. Dan, what are Congressman Adam Kinzinger's plans? He's going to um, focus on national efforts to sort of fight the pro-Trump wing of his party, the Republican Party. Um, He had flirted with the idea of possibly running for United States Senate or running for Illinois governor. Again, this comes down to um, the issue of how can someone who who is openly anti-Trump win a primary in the current Republican Party? You know, he may have had some appeal statewide if he had been the Republican nominee for either of those positions, but that was far from a, a guarantee when he has come out so outspokenly against the former president. Kimberly, were you expecting Kinzinger to run for Senate or governor? Well, no just because I just don't see his path to victory because he has isolated himself by being one of the Republicans who stood up against President Trump. But then also he is still a very much a a conservative. So I don't know how he would be able to get any swing voters to his side. So I'm just not sure what he would do (laughs) in that case. What would his path be? It was going to be interesting to watch and see what he came up with. But I think he's just positioning himself to try and make a run for the only thing he would be able to in 2024, where he could match himself up against the man who shall not be named, uh, (laughs) Donald Trump, in the event he decides to run, because then that is a real race. Uh, Dan, the Illinois General Assembly's 2022 session actually got underway this week. Was everyone down in Springfield or or did COVID keep some folks away? Yes, there were definitely a a number of absences and it was kind of an odd day. You know, they had been scheduled to be in for three days this week to start the year, um, trying to finish up by April because of the primary being moved to June. They had some attendance issues, both in the, in the, House and the Senate, um, Republicans tried to do some gamesmanship to see whether, you know, the Democrats even had enough folks there in person in Springfield to have a quorum to call the, the chambers into session. They ended yeah. up being able to do that, but it sort of delayed delayed the work they were trying to get done. And um, they've now canceled days for the foreseeable future as we sort of ride this latest COVID wave that we were talking about earlier. So it may turn what was 
a consolidated calendar to a, a significantly truncated calendar like we saw back in 2020 when the first uh, wave of the pandemic hit us. Yeah, the, the Illinois House voted to continue allowing legislators to participate in session days remotely uh, through June 1st. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And that's part of the reason they had to get to Springfield was to extend those rules that have been extended a few times now throughout the pandemic. Um, and they needed enough folks there in person to vote to approve those rules so that they could then let the folks who were trying to participate come back in their districts. Governor Pritzker is also working remotely this week? That's right, yeah. He had a close contact with someone in his office who tested positive for COVID-19. And so he's following the CDC protocols of quarantining. He had a negative test on the same day that they announced the contact. And so I believe the plan is, you know, five days of isolation under the new CDC guidelines. Yeah. Well, quickly highlight these for us. There, there were also some 300 new laws that went into effect with the new year, Dan. That's right. Yeah, there are just a ton of stuff. Um, you know, there was a lot that didn't get done in, in 2020 because of the, the pandemic and the really near cancellation of the legislative session. So lawmakers were very busy last year. The minimum wage went up by a dollar, which is actually the effect of a law that was passed a few years ago. Just a, a wide range of things, new state government ethics law that's been widely criticized mm-hmm. um, went into effect. Um, requirements that kids in Illinois schools be taught about Asian American history and the contribution of Asian Americans to our society and culture, a law preventing schools from banning ethnic hairstyles as part of their dress code. Um, Juneteenth is becoming an official state holiday. Right. Yeah. Um, all, all sorts there's a of, lot. There's a wide range. There's of a lot things. happening. Uh, yes. Well, well. Before I let you both go, Kimberly, in Cook County, we got to talk about this. Restaurants, bars, and gyms—they've got their own new rule to deal with, and that's vaccine mandates. They're now required of all patrons who are uh, going to be inside for more than ten minutes. You got to show your vaccination card. You hearing anything from listeners about how that's going so far? Even better. I have seen it firsthand walking in a restaurant, uh, Daly's Restaurant on 63rd and Cottage Grove, Mm -hmm. and I was going in to pick up, but people were coming in thinking that they could sit down and eat the way that they have all the time before and being turned away because they did not have proof of their vaccination. So they, you know, I don't know. I know we've seen it on the news. If you watch the news, you, you definitely have seen that. But there probably will have to be more marketing done to let everyone know that you have to have this information if you plan on staying in any of these venues for longer than 10 minutes. Because I saw them turn those people away. And, and yeah. one of the concerns is from people, you know, the, the wait staff, et cetera, if they get into a confrontation. In that case, there was no confrontation. They just walked away. Yeah. But safety is a big question. People, who are the people to, to enforce that? Yeah, for sure. That is WVON commentator Kimberly Agoen, also Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune. Thank you both. Have a great weekend. That's it for the weekly news recap. We had lots of news to start off the new year, but we'll keep on top of things for you in 2022. So make sure you hit the subscribe button for this podcast. Then take a few seconds to give us a rating and a review. Doing that helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Come back soon. Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts.